0: Well, hey there. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name is Joseph. I'm one of the pastors here at Deer Creek. Happy almost summer to everyone. Kick off summer officially in a couple days now. We kicked off summer as a Deer Creek church community yesterday at our Taste of Deer Creek event. Uh, anyone get a chance to check that out? Raise your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Good number of us. It was an absolute blast. Uh, tons of fun, tons of games, and uh, tons of great opportunities to eat many good foods. Thank you to Ed. Thank you to his team. Thank you for the men's ministry for hosting us as a church. Yeah. sharing your culinary expertise with us. It was a blast. We really appreciate it. And I think we have some congratulations in order. We had a chili cook-off, and our champion was Mr. Pat Mahoney right here. Yeah. <laughs> Pat, you make award-winning chili. You can put that on your resume. Yeah. He's going to be in the lobby after service uh, doing uh, autographs and photos. 20, 20 bucks a pop, that's a deal. That's a, that's a steal. Yeah, yeah, so... Well, we are kicking off summer as a church with our summer teaching series. I think I'm getting a little bit of feedback, Aaron. Am I the only one hearing that? Yes? Oh, okay then. Ignore me. I just hear things sometimes. And No, we are kicking off our summer teaching series with a series aptly titled Summer in the Psalms. Now, if you're new to church, maybe new to faith, new to reading the Bible, you might be wondering yourself, what in the world is a psalm? And a, <laughs> a psalm, a psalm is simply a, is the Hebrew word for Uh, song or poem, and there's actually a whole book of the Bible dedicated to these songs and poems, Uh, 150 of them, in fact, in the Old Testament. And just like songs and poems for us uh, nowadays, these psalms uh, evoke all sorts of emotions in us. They express every facet of human life. In fact, there's a famous pastor, theologian named John Calvin, who described the psalms as the anatomy of the human soul that every facet of human existence can be found in the book of Psalms. From the highest of highs, victory, worship, love, celebration, to the lowest of lows, despair, skepticism, fear and doubt, even the valley of shadow of death. The Psalms represent everything that it means to be human. It speaks to every single person, no matter what season you're in. Maybe you're walking in here this morning and you're in one of those highest of high seasons. Praise God for that. And maybe you're in a season where you feel like you're in the lowest of lows. You're barely holding it together place of skepticism, doubt, fear, anxiety. I'm not making light of that. I'm not brushing over that, but I say praise God for that as well because the Psalms speak to us so clearly in no matter what season we're in. So we're gonna study uh, this. We're not gonna do all 150 this summer. That's what I wanted to do. And Dwayne wouldn't let me. Uh, He said that was a bit too ambitious. So we're gonna just study a handful of them, but we're gonna start with Psalm 1. It's a good place to start. But before we do that, let me pray for us. Lord, we do pray that this time would be rendered unto you, Lord, that everything that we do here, the words that are spoken, uh, the, uh, the words uh, that we read, your word, God, that would implant itself in our hearts, Lord. We pray that anxieties, distractions would be pushed aside. Lord, help me to focus my heart and my mind to glorify you and glorify the name of Jesus in everything that we do. God, I pray that you would speak to us all here this morning as sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords, as beloved children, Lord, that you would invite us, that you would challenge us, that every single one of us would leave here knowing more of who you are and who we are made to be because of you, because of your word, because of the cross of Jesus Christ. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, if you have, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 1. Uh, it's also gonna be on the screen behind me if you have that old school uh, ink and paper version thing. If you actually just open right to the very middle, just the very middle, That's where you'll find the book of Psalms. So We're going to read Psalm 1 together. Uh, Actually, I'm going to read, and you can follow along on the screen behind me or in your Bibles. This is God's word to us. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like the chaff that the wind blows away. And therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Well, Psalm 1 has has for millennia, for thousands of years, been known as as the gateway into the entire Book of Psalms. And again, there's everything, there's all these different emotions expressed all throughout the book of Psalms. Worship, praise, celebration, joy, heartache, despair, sorrow, pain, skepticism. Psalm one is really the lens through which the remainder of the book of Psalms makes sense. And it all actually starts with this very first word, this very first word here in Psalm one, blessed. Blessed is the one, blessed is the person. What does it look like to live a blessed life? here on earth, in relationship with God. That word there, blessed, is actually the Hebrew word ashray. It's really fun to say ashray. Try it with me, ashray. Yeah, you'll get there. Ashray, you're gonna hear it a lot in this sermon. But ashray is the Hebrew word for happy. Now, just like English language has a semantic range, you know, uh, uh, the Hebrew language has semantic range, so blessed is a a great translation of that. Blessed, satisfied, joyful, happy. Ashray is the one Who does not and does these things? This question of happiness, blessedness, satisfaction with life is a central theme that we find all throughout the book of Psalms. Let me ask you a question this morning Can we be happy? That was not a very confident answer. (laughs) I heard some yeses, I heard a couple like, uh, maybe. And that's a tough question, isn't it? Can we as human beings be happy? You weren't expecting to get quizzed philosophically this morning. Can we be happy? Can we truly be satisfied as human beings here on earth? I've heard it described uh, that uh, when we're young, we believe that happiness is inevitable. And then when we're older, happiness is unattainable. The central question that follows us all throughout life, can we be happy? The season of life we're in actually drastically affects how we answer this question right? When we're young, we believe it's inevitable. And when we're old, we believe it's unattainable. When I was seven, if you came up to me and said, Joseph, what would you like to be when you grow up? I said, it's not a matter of wanting. I will be three sport athlete, football, <laughs> baseball, basketball, first round draft pick, all three. It didn't matter that I had only played baseball. I had never, never actually played football or basketball at that point. I would figure it out. My mom told me I was really gifted, so I'm sure that I could make that happen. Make millions of dollars, probably parlay that into a political career. President of the United States sounded pretty good. Yeah, that sounded like a gig, I could, you know, why not? It wasn't a question of if, it's a question of when. Of course I'm gonna be happy, of course I'm gonna be satisfied, of course my life is gonna be meaningful, it's inevitable. But then life happens, right? And we get a little bit older, maybe a little bit more negatively we say, we become jaded, we become cynical. Positively we say, wow, we're just more realistic as we get older. And we learn something, we learn that no matter what our ambitions are, no matter how much even we dedicate ourselves wholeheartedly to the pursuit of a noble ideal, sometimes it just doesn't pan out, does it? Sometimes we end up frustrated, sometimes we end up dissatisfied, whether that's pursuit of a career, starting a business and you put everything you have into it and it falls flat. Maybe a relationship that you pursue that you're very excited about, or you're thrilled about, you're, you're passionately pursuing, investing all of your heart, soul, and mind into, and it doesn't work out. And so as we get older, we, we say, no, 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 happiness isn't inevitable. It's unattainable. We can't really be satisfied because there's just too much pain, too much frustration, too much sorrow in the world. Now, Psalm 1 is really fascinating because it kind of challenges both of those perspectives with this very first word. Blessed is the one, joyful is the one, satisfied is the one, Ashray is the one. That's a thunderous statement to start a book about human existence, about the full spectrum of human existence. Blessed is the one is a thunderous statement because it says neither is happiness inevitable, nor is it unattainable. It actually is possible through a dedicated path. The path of a righteous person, the path of a person sinking their roots deep down into the gospel, irrespective of your circumstances, irrespective of the things happening around you in your life, you can actually be satisfied through your relationship with God. Now, thank you. Now, before some of you, maybe I hear two amens and I probably, I I think if you're anything like me, there may be some eye rolling. Maybe somehow, okay, that's typical. That's what a pastor would say. That's what you say in a church. Okay, we can be satisfied in a relation with God. Let's wrap this up. Let's get out of here. Enjoy our Father's Day lunch. I, I, I am that simple. I am that simplistic. This psalm is not that simple, nor is it that simplistic. This is not religious sentiment, right? This isn't some empty gesture or empty words that we, we scribble on a page. Hey, uh, have a great summer. Have a great Father's Day. Anyone get a, get a Father's Day card yet this morning? Yeah, that, that's... Wow, man. Okay? Oh OK. Well, thanks to my family. No. <laughs> um, that surprised me. <laughs> this is more than religious sentiment. It's more than just a noble ideal. Uh, do you remember yearbook signing day back in uh, school? I loved yearbook signing day. You know, mid school was done. mid-summer was almost here, kind of that season we're in right now. Summer's approaching. Students are getting really restless. Teachers are getting really restless really excited. And yearbook signing day was this incredible social experiment. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering who came up with this idea. Let, let's give them books. Let's give them pens. And let's put all these kids, many of whom didn't get along very well all year. Many of them didn't hang out with each other, didn't get along. But let's put them in a situation where they have to say nice things to each other. They have to express nice sentiments to one another. And really, you can take the shyest person in the world, put a yearbook in their hand. And they can go up to anyone and just they, they, you know, sign something, write something nice, and I will do the same. This is like Wall Street meets the House of Representatives kind of exchange of goods thing going on. And uh, your book signing it was fascinating because you didn't sign everyone's book the same way, did you? Some people, you made very intentional plans with. Oh, it's my best mate, my best friend. I kind of fancy that girl a little bit. Hey, you know, hey, this. Remember this happened this year. I'm going to give you a whole paragraph. Remember the fun things we did, the trips we took, and. We look forward, right? Oh, hey, let's, let's hang out this summer. Here's some plans. Here's my email. Here's my phone number. Here's my instant messenger screen name. Anyone remember that? That was a thing once. Yeah, AOL was a thing. Yeah, here's my instant messenger screen name. Message me sometime. And uh, we, we make plans with people. We write whole paragraphs to them. Other people, we, we don't want to be mean, but we just don't know what to say. And so students came up with this way to express sentiment, this way to express uh, a noble gesture, but really it was pretty hollow, and uh, the way to wish someone well. And we, we were actually so lazy, we didn't even write out the full phrase. We would abbreviate it in people's yearbooks. Some of you, I see some of you already mumbling to yourself. What is that phrase? What's that, what's that abbreviation? Anyone remember what it is? Hags. Yeah, there it is. Hags. That's not an insult. Some of you are like, what is that? That's not an insult. That is an abbreviation. Anyone know what it stands for? Have a great summer. What a nice sentiment. It means absolutely nothing. That is the most lazy, most generic, most pitiful way to wish someone well. When you have nothing else to say, we say, have a great summer, hags. <laughs> Maybe throw in a stay cool if you're feeling particularly generous. It's lazy, it's thoughtless, it's sentiment and only sentiment. Psalm one is not communicating to us. It's not saying, you wanna have a great life? Here it is, here's some sentiment. It's not an empty gesture. Do you, do you wanna have a great summer? What kind of question is that? Of course you wanna have a great summer. Of course you wanna have a great summer. We look forward to, we expect to have a great summer. Do we plan to have a great summer? Do we pursue having a great summer? Let me make it a little more real. Do you wanna have a great marriage? No one says that they wanna have a bad marriage. Of course you wanna have a good marriage. Do we actively pursue having a good marriage? Do we dedicate ourselves to pursuing a good marriage? Do you wanna be a good parent? Do you wanna be a good mom? Do you want to be a great dad? Of course you do. Do you wanna be a great professional in the workplace? Of course you do. Do we actively pursue putting down roots that will allow us to flourish in those different places, in those seasons, irrespective of the circumstances around us? That's a lot tougher. That requires commitment. That requires dedication. Psalm 1 is talking about that level of commitment. It's talking about not sentiment, but substance. Now, Psalm 1 is going to show us three things. We're going to sit with this the majority of the morning, uh, and we're going to look at uh, what Psalm 1 shows us. And the first thing that Psalm 1 shows us, even as we dedicate ourselves to beyond sentiment, we make a plan, we want to pursue it, Psalm 1 shows us what makes us stray. You ever made a great plan and never followed through? Yeah, it's called New Year's resolutions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of course we're making these great plans. We, we're experts at making plans. It's very difficult to follow through. Someone recognizes right away that even if you say, I want to live a blessed, satisfied, joyful, ashray lifestyle, there are things that make us stray. Sorry, Dustin, I think you're a little ahead of me. Just the uh, first one. That's yeah, all right. Yeah, what makes us, <laughs> what makes us stray? Um, you can just go back to the other one, Dustin. You're good. There you go. Someone shows us what makes us stray. It shows us that there actually are slow, gradual, incremental things that take place that pull us off of the dedicated path we are pursuing. I was a wrestler and a football player in high school, and uh, yeah, yeah. That, that's actually most of the time when I tell that to people, they go, "Really?". Like, I don't know how to take that. Really? Why, you? No, no. <laughs> you look more like a chess club individual. Anyway. <laughs> not knocking chess club. I loved chess club. I was in it. So that was accurate. Anyway. Um, but I was a wrestler and a football player in high school. And now I would go from wrestling or some football season in the fall into wrestling season in the winter. Football diet was the best thing in the world. I was on the O line. You wake, you, uh, it's breakfast and your coach is like, you know, hey, here's three PB&Js and a glass of milk and some fried chicken for breakfast. (laughs) Okay, if this is what it takes to help the team, coach, I'll do it. Because you want to put on weight, you want mass, you want substance. I went from usually weighing about 200 to 10 in football season. I wrestled the 160 weight class my freshman and sophomore year. So I would have about a month to two months to cut my weight down from football weight to wrestling weight. It's as miserable as it sounds. It was wretched And so, you know, all my football buddies who weren't wrestlers, they would come to school and they're eating all this just junk. And I'm like, I brought a banana. I get, that's my Actually, I get half the banana because I didn't make weight yesterday. So if I'm really good this week, I get the other half later. And so you're struggling, but I'm dedicated. I wanted to be competitive. I wanted to compete at this level. And so I said, okay, I'm going to dedicate myself to this plan. The problem was there was this very gradual, incremental process of getting pulled off of my plan. You see, I wanted to hang out with my football buddies, I wanted to continue spending time with them and they would always go to like a a big buffet, like a golden corral on Friday nights. And I would say, I, I wanna walk with you. I wanna go with you. I wanna travel with you. I'm not gonna participate. I'll probably go to eat somewhere else, but I just wanna be with you guys on the journey there. So I started doing what Psalm 1 describes. I started walking with them. I started traveling alongside them. I was curious about what was going on, but I wasn't committed to it. So that's okay, I'm just curious started going with them. And of course, I get outside of this Golden Corral establishment and you just smell all the fried food, right? Every, everything in the South is fried. I'm from North Carolina. Everything's fried. You could fry a dining room chair. We would like, I'll take a, I'll take a piece of that. Why not? Like <laughs> Everything's fried. We eat fried everything. And so all these greasy, delicious, amazing smells are hitting me outside. And I go from, from just traveling there saying, well, I might, I might just come inside for a minute. I might just stand with you guys in line, kind of you know, walk through with you. I'm not gonna eat anything, but you know, I'm, I'm, I've gone from being curious to a little more committed to this path, to standing, from walking to standing with them. And all, before I know it, I'm sitting down at the table and I've got you know, three chicken legs and like some pork rinds. I didn't even know they, they had pork rinds here, why not? And all of a sudden my plate is full of all of these things. I, I never intended to be eating. I was curious about it, but now I'm consuming it. Psalm 1 shows us that this is actually part of human life. When we dedicate ourselves to a worthwhile path, when we dedicate ourselves to a cause, we find ourselves slowly, gradually, incrementally straying, being pulled off path. This is a common dynamic. Think of it this way. No one wakes up in the morning with a great marriage, great life, and says, "Hmm, you know what? I think I'm going to have an affair today that sounds like a great idea. Then we just go hop into bed with a stranger. That sounds like a great plan for the day. No one does that. No one wakes up in the morning just deciding to go have an affair. No one who's been working has a great relationship with God has been in the workplace, has dedicated himself professionally to a thriving of organization, wakes up one day and says, you know what sounds like a good hobby? Embezzlement. Let's go with that. Let's start skimming some money off the top. We don't do that. No one just says one day, I want to be an addict. That's a great life choice to pursue. It's the result of a slow gradual, intentional change in direction. Psalm 1 talks about the way we go from walking, being curious, standing, we're a little bit more committed, to sitting, where all of a sudden we are consumed by something. It's a gradual, slow, incremental process. You've probably heard this analogy before, how important is it to stay on course if you're flying in a plane? You've heard that even one degree off has you know, monumental consequences on the direction you're taking. So if you're saying you're flying a single mile, just one degree, a single degree off course, after one mile, you're 93 feet off course. After 60 miles, you're an entire mile off course. Let's put this in perspective. Say you fly from Denver to London. So you drive all the way to Kansas to get the airport and then you fly from Denver to London. Yeah, and 7,500 miles, in that trip of 7,500 miles, from Denver to London, if you were just a single degree off course, at best, you end up in Belgium. Okay, not so bad. At worst, you end up at the bottom of the ocean. Single degree, one degree. My question is this, what is our tolerance for straying? What is our personal tolerance for straying? I'll go and be honest with you. My personal tolerance for other people straying, non-existent. My personal tolerance for me straying though, profound, profound. One degree on Mondays, (laughs) Mondays are tough. No one likes Mondays. Ah, I, can, I can deviate a little bit. Two degrees on Tuesday. I was just really hungry. I don't know. I was just, you know, really desiring that thing. Three degrees on Wednesday. I just got really angry at my spouse. And I just, I'm so angry and frustrated that I need to pursue this other thing. Four degrees on Thursday. I'm just feeling lonely. You know, just feel down. Gives me an excuse to pursue this thing. Five degree Friday. Just, uh, I'm really tired. Worn down by the week. It's been a long week. So if I hit the bottle, if I go on the internet, if I pursue this other thing that I know isn't healthy, but my circumstances, what's going on in my life just make me feel very tolerant to being off of course. We find ourselves going from being curious about something to starting to commit to it, to being consumed by it. Psalm 1 shows us if we want to live a blessed, ashray, satisfied life, we've gotta be aware that there are things that make us stray. We've got to be aware that we are creatures prone to straying. Everyone thoroughly depressed? Yeah, let, me, let me pray, we'll close. Now, 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 there is good news. That's the first thing that Psalm 1 shows us. It doesn't leave us there though. It doesn't leave us by just pointing out what makes us stray. Psalm 1 sh- what shows us what, uh, you, you will never guess what the next point is. <laughs> Psalm 1 shows us how to stay. Psalm 1 shows us how to stay. Someone shows us that by driving our roots deep down into our relationship with God, irrespective of the circumstances around us, we actually can be blessed, we can be happy, we can be satisfied with life. You can read along with me. This is uh, starting at verse two, reading through three and four. Again, blessed is the one who doesn't do these other things, but whose delight, there it is, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. The psalm shows us that a dedicated, blessed life starts with the word of God. It starts by sinking our roots deep down into who God is and who we are in light of God. And it even gives us a beautiful word picture for what this looks like. It gives us a picture of a tree planted by streams of water being nourished. And again, key word there, planted. Not haphazardly growing, planted, bearing uh, bearing fruit in season versus chaff. Now, if you know what chaff is, or maybe you don't know what chaff is, when you press wheat... Because we've, because we've all done, we've all pressed wheat before, right? Yeah, I don't know why I'm saying that. Uh, the only reason I know what wheat is is because I've played a lot of settlers of Catan and I've traded sheep and stone for it. There's like four people who get that reference. Anyway, it's a board game. But that's the only reason I know what wheat is. <laughs> but in an agrarian society who this was written for, wheat was very significant and there was this outer shell, this chaff that you could press on and the, the, this outer worthless shell would separate from that which had substance underneath. And the way, it was really cool, the way they would actually do this is they would take the wheat after a harvest, and they would take it outside, and they would throw the wheat up in the air, and they would just take turns throwing it up in the air, and the slightest little breeze would grab hold of that chaff, that, that worthless outer shell, and it would just phew, fly away. It was worthless, it was light, it was fluffy, and everything that had substance that had significance would just fall back to the ground and would actually be helpful, would be nourishing. And so that's, that's the idea of chaff. Maybe think of tumbleweed. You know, we think about you know trees putting roots down. Uh, we see tumbleweed that's flowing around. It, it's, a, it's a plant, but it obviously, obviously has no roots, has no purpose, has no great significance. might be cool to look at from a distance, but no one grows up saying, wow, I want to be like a tumbleweed. I want to be floating around with no substance, no significance. Sort of that mindset, that idea. And so this, it gives us these word pictures, these ideas of what... Uh, a, a meaningful, ashray blessed life might look like. And it compares it to putting our roots down deep into things that nourish us, that could survive any season, versus being like chaff, like a tumbleweed. Now, one of the biggest objections I, I had before I became a follower of Jesus, I hear from people all the time, is this idea of, if I want to be happy I I need to be free, right? Has anyone ever felt this way? Uh, If I'm gonna be fully satisfied, happy, I need to be free. And the Bible just restricts me. Ah, it just restricts me so much. It puts all these boundaries. It puts all these strangleholds on my life. And if I'm gonna be really satisfied, I need to be free. Maybe you felt that. Maybe you've interacted with someone. I have certainly felt that way. Now, this is a myth that permeates our culture that says absolute uh, freedom leads to absolute satisfaction. C.S. Lewis, a famous pastor and author, challenged this myth. He actually, with a really clever analogy, he talked about, he tells a story about a fish, a fish that had been swimming in water its whole life and just longed to go to the surface. It was so constrained and so constricted by the prison of the water around it that only, if only I could get away and get onto the land, then I would be really satisfied. Then I would be free, So one day the fish decides to take the big leap of faith and hops out of the water and is flopping around on the land. Now the question is, was that fish free? Maybe, sort of. It had fewer boundaries on it than it was. Was it happy? Absolutely not. In fact, it was dying. It was not satisfied in its freedom. A fish is most satisfied is healthy, is when it swims within the boundaries it was created for, water. The human soul is most free and most satisfied when it lives within the boundaries God created it for, and that is relationship with God. That is when we are the most free, the most satisfied, the most able to endure any season that comes our way. In fact, followers of Jesus time after time throughout centuries, throughout history, many of you yourselves have demonstrated that deep satisfaction can come from relationship with God no matter what your circumstances, that we can be happy despite what's happening in our lives, despite the things around us. We can be joyful, we can be blessed, we can be satisfied. In fact, some would say that seasons of drought, seasons of pain and heartache have led to even deeper faith. Can you reflect on a time in your life that was absolutely miserable? It was painful, it was difficult, it was trying, It was a place of skepticism and doubt and fear. And now that you are on the other side of that, can you look back with a hint of gratitude and say, wow, as difficult as that was, I am so grateful I went through that. I am so grateful I went through that because my faith is more real, more tangible, more meaningful to me now than it was before. That's the beauty of putting our roots Deep down into the gospel, deep down into who God is and who He's made us to be. There's a, another analogy of this. There's a, a you know, uh, certain plants have what's called a taproot. I just read about this. I thought it was fascinating, a tap root. There's actually something that, uh, you know, pine trees have tap roots. And so as tall, as majestic, as big as a pine tree is, um, the more mature, the more healthy a pine tree is, it actually has a deeper tap root. This is a central root structure, right? There's a few other roots on the surface, but there's a single root that drives straight down deep into the soil, digging deep, 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 deep down for nourishment. Sometimes as tall as the tree is underground as it is on the surface. You tracking with me? Yeah. Now, an avalanche sweeps mountainsides all the time. An avalanche can slam into a pine tree with the force of 100 compact cars. It can go up to 80 miles an hour. It can absolutely devastate a pine forest. It can swoop down and leave an entire pine forest leveled. It cannot uproot a mature pine tree. It's taproots too deep. It's too deeply rooted that no matter, even on the surface, if it is being obliterated by the force and the season that's hitting it, it survives. It comes back stronger because of how deep its root is. Folks, that's the promise of the gospel for every single one of us. That is the promise of God for every single one of us that when we drive our roots deep down into our relation with God, irrespective of our circumstances, irrespective of the pain, the loss, the sorrow, the fear, the doubt that we feel, we are not overcome. We are not uprooted. That's the promise of the gospel. So what does it look like for us to drive our roots deep down? You wanna know the secret to happiness It's driving our roots deep down into the gospel so we can remain steadfast no matter what happens to us or to those we love. How do we do this? How do we live this out? Charles Spurgeon said that the most miserable of creatures on the planet was the half committed Christian. Think about that. That's profound the most miserable of creatures in existence is the half-committed Christian. He says that the half-committed Christian knows too much of God to ever really be satisfied in the world but knows too much of the world to ever truly be satisfied in God. It comes from not having deep roots and it leads us to being absolutely miserable no matter what circumstances we're in. I, uh, I've had many conversations over the years. I don't, I'm trying not to exaggerate. I would probably say I've had a couple dozen of these same conversations with students, with, with young adults, with college students, uh, with high schoolers, with middle schoolers over the years. And it always starts the same way and it always ends with the same answer. It always starts, Joseph, I just don't, I'm just not satisfied in my relationship with God. I just don't feel him, his presence. I don't feel close to God Again, I don't brush past that. I don't make light of that. that is, that's a serious, profound pain that this student is feeling because they've caught glimpses, right? They've caught glimpses maybe at a retreat, maybe through family members, through friends who do have this deeply rooted relationship with God. But they themselves are not satisfied. And so that's where it starts. I'm not satisfied. I'm just not there with God. I don't feel his presence. And so I ask these questions. Well, tell me about, tell me about what rhythms of growth ex, uh, you experience in your life. Tell me, tell me about how, what it looks like for you to put your roots down. Tell me about reading scripture for you. I don't, I don't really do that. The Bible's pretty thick. It's pretty big. I'm more, I'm more of a TV person, Joseph. i like, I get it. I, I am as well. I'm not a very good reader. It's just really difficult for me. Okay. Well, tell me about your prayer life. Tell me, when was the last time, say, you spent more than five minutes in prayer? Wow. Five minutes is a long time. It's a long time. I mean, you know, we pray at dinner. Well, I, I don't pray at dinner. My, you know, my family prays at dinner, but I bow my head. So I'm like kind of, you know, there with them. Well, tell me about what your community looks like. Tell me what going to church looks like. Tell me what being around a, a small group community looks like. Ah, small groups ask a lot of questions. Church is on a Sunday. That's my day to sleep in. There's a lot of things going on. And these, this feeling, this, this person who has had a taste of what it means to have a meaningful relation with God starts to express All of these places where their roots simply don't go down. They haven't dedicated themselves to pursuit of a relationship with God. And so it leads them to this conclusion of saying, I just don't know how to get there. Do you want to live a meaningful, satisfied, blessed, ashray life? Do you want to have a great summer, have a great marriage, be great parents? It starts with sinking your roots deep down into the gospel. So how do we do this? Um, there's a guy named uh, Charles uh, Duig. He wrote The Power of Habit. I'm just curious. Has anyone read Power of Habit? It's a really great book. Absolutely loved it. Um, he writes uh, about these things called keystone habits. That there are just keystone habits. There are, life is filled with habits. Habits is kind of like a funky word for us. When we're like, we think habit. We think something that's rote or boring. No, we make habits all the time. The human brain is actually made to create habits. But there are keystone habits. There are habits actually. If we start doing this one thing, it starts to affect every other part of our lives. We have physical keystone habits, right? Everyone has physical keystone habits. Maybe some of you, it's going to the gym. If, if I go to the gym in the morning, I'm going to have a great day. You just know it ahead of time. If I get a good uh, good meal, a good healthy meal, if I'm eating healthy, I'm going to have a great day, a great week, feel really good about myself. And all of a sudden, all these other things are popping into place. For me, sleep is a keystone habit. Any other People need their sleep out there. Yeah, a few of us. Okay, I need sleep. I, sleep is a keystone habit for me. When I don't get enough sleep, my wife has a nickname for me. She calls me a Cranky Pants McGee. That's, uh, that's my official title. When I don't get enough sleep, Cranky Pants McGee. It's, a, it's an affectionate term, I've decided. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just not myself when I don't get enough sleep. Physically, we have these keystone habits. A keystone habit for every follower of Jesus is rooting yourself in scripture is pursuing digging your roots deep down into the word of God. Because we can say all day long that we follow Jesus, we wanna know who he is, but if we don't know anything about him, or better yet, what if we forget? There's a reason we gather here on Sunday mornings is to be reminded of the promises of the gospel because we stray, we forget. If we want to put roots deep down into our relation with God, we have got to sink our roots straight down into scripture what does reading scripture look like for you? How do we even start? If you're really practical, really pragmatic, a great place to start is the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a book in the Old Testament uh, and it has 31 chapters. So no matter what day of the month it is, what's today's uh, date? 18. So you read chapter 18 of Proverbs. Very practical. What would you read tomorrow? 19. And it gets you into this keystone. Hub. You guys are great at counting. I knew it. I knew you could do that. It gets us in this keystone habit of putting ourselves into God's word, sinking our roots deep down into it. Now, very clearly, this is not a perfunctory chore, right? This isn't something that we just want to check a box on. Okay, Joseph has been harping on this. The youth pastor's been harping on this. Dwayne's been harping on this. Something we just do to check a box. We actually need to sit with this. There's a word that, we, that popped up in verse two. It talked about the blessed person, how to live a blessed life. It says, whose delight is in the law, who meditates on his law day and night. That word meditate in the Hebrew is the same word for, for mumbling. It's the same word for a cow chewing its cud. Guys, you need to read your Bible like a cow. Now there's a, there's a fun sermon application. What do cows do? Well, they sleep, they wake up, they eat. They go back to sleep, and then they wake up and they regurgitate. They, they, they regurgitate what they've eaten. They soak up more and more nutrients. Then they take another nap, and they eat again, and they regurgitate, and they keep this process. They're like college students, right? They just sleep and eat and regurgitate. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> this is what they do. If we want to actually soak meaning, we can't just say, okay, I retinetted the page. I, I worked my way through this. We actually have to sit with God's word. We have to be filled up with what God's word tells us. We have to be reminded of what God's word tells us. We don't wanna do this too quickly. We don't wanna stress ourselves out. I I love the book of Leviticus. Don't start with Leviticus. If you haven't read before, it's difficult. It's trying, there's context. There's a lot of stuff going on in there. It's a difficult place to start. Start with Proverbs. Start with the Gospel of Mark. Fantastic, action-packed gospel. There's things happening constantly in the life of Jesus. Great places to start. Start at a reasonable pace. Uh, uh, I think I've told this story before. Uh, several years ago, I went to Duane. I was in the middle of this kind of personal development season and trying to, okay, here's some goals. Here's some ways I want to grow. And I went to Duane. And I sat down in his office and I said, Dwayne, I'm going to read the whole Bible. I'm just going to sprint through the Bible. I'm six months. I want you to hold me accountable. I'm going to read through the whole Bible in six months. I'm just going to just power through this. I'm just going to check that box so I can say, I've read the Bible in six months. And that'd be really good for me. Fresh. What do you think? And Dwayne looked at me, uh, and he said, Joseph, you're a very smart person, but. I was like, oh, no, why just you have to say but? Just, just period, you're a very smart person. I'll get out of your office, we can be done. You're a very smart person, but. Sometimes you are the dumbest smart person that I know. <laughs> he said, that sounds absolutely worthless. That sounds like you're trying to check a box, and I wonder if that would have any real significant lasting impact. What if instead, instead of reading the Bible in six months, what if you dedicated yourself to reading the Bible every day for six years? What an impact that would have on your life. There are plenty of things that grow quickly, sprout up overnight, even put down roots overnight that produce nothing, you wanna know what they're called? Weeds, yeah, they're weeds. We've got to have a bigger view of our relation with God than simply growing up as weeds. Fast, quick, easy, done. That's not what it looks like to live a blessed, meaningful, satisfied life. We've got to get more serious about pursuing the word of God. Last thing that this shows us, we're gonna end with this. Someone shows us what makes us stray. It shows us how to stay. Someone shows us the way. Right, because all of this, all of this, even by reading the Bible, even by praying, even by dedicating ourselves to living, putting roots down that help us persevere in every season, all of it is meaningless apart from Jesus. Verse 6 says this: For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The Old Testament, the Torah, the, the, the wisdom, all of this, all of this before Jesus was it was called the Torah, it just means the law. It also had other names. One of those was, it was called The Way, that these writings were The Way. It was also called The Truth, and it was also called The Life. It is not an accident when Jesus was meeting with his disciples, he described himself as The Way, The Truth, and The Life. These words, these pages, are only significant to us in that they reveal who Jesus is to us. Jesus is The Way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the one that we are called to sink our roots deep down into. And here's the deal. Here's the the deal. He invites us to do that. He invites us to do that. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and come and be with me. John 15, 5. It's a beautiful passage. Dustin, you can throw that up there. He says this to his disciples, to people he's sitting with. I am the vine, and you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, there's a beautiful promise here that we get right away, that I am the vine, you are the branches. Root yourself in me. He is crystal clear about that. You want to bear fruit. You want to be meaningful. You want to have a satisfied, blessed, ashray life. Root yourself to me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Who is he communicating this to? He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to people who have gotten it wrong time and time and time and time again. He's talking to people who in hours, mere hours, are gonna be betraying him and pretending like they do not know him. He's not talking to perfect people. He's talking to his friends, his flawed disciples, and he's inviting them to trust him despite their flaws, despite the fact that they have strayed and will stray to put their roots deep down into him. Psalm 1 shows us the way. It shows us no matter what our previous experiences have been, no matter what they will be, we have the way in Jesus. Do you want to have a great summer? Do you want to have a great marriage? Do you want to have a great career, be a great dad, be a great mom? It starts with putting your roots deep down into the gospel. Let me pray with us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you invite someone as flawed, as sinful, as insufficient as me to put my roots deep down into knowing you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your word that promises us that you will never leave us nor forsake us. In fact, God, your word tells us you are with us till the very end. Not because of what we have done, not because of what we have earned, not because of the boxes we check or what we prove to ourselves or to others around us, not because we are so great but because you are God. Because you are a loving, faithful father who loved us so much to sacrifice for us, to die for us, to conquer death when we could not. To to, To rise from the grave and to invite us into that eternal relationship. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you love us that much. Lord, I pray that we as a church would sink our roots deep down into the gospel would sink our roots deep down into who you are and who we were made to be. Lord, I pray for folks who are facing circumstances and happenings around them right now, who are in those seasons of drought and turmoil. Lord, be with them, deepen their roots, nourish them when all else fails, Lord. Remind us that when you are all we have, Lord, in those moments, that is when we realize that you are all we truly need. Go before us now, Lord, help our hearts to respond in worship to you. This we pray in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.